It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Well, good morning. As Louis mentioned, Andrew mentioned, our roll in obviously points to it. This, uh, we're in week three of a series called Anxious for Nothing. And it's really the big idea is built around something that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Now, Paul was kind of like an Elon Musk character in the early church. Philippi is a part of in Eastern Greece. That one's for you, Nissa. Um, and he wrote this letter and, and actually, by the way, wrote it while he was imprisoned for uh, preaching about Jesus. So if you think, you know, your colleague thinks you're a bit weird because you go to church, well, at least they haven't sent you to prison for it. Um, So he had some issues. And he wrote this letter from that physical place of imprisonment. Uh, And towards the end of the letter, he wrote something that, that, that we've hung this series around. And let me read it to you. And I just need to let you know, for those of you joining us for the first time today, it, it's a little bit bonkers. He said, he wrote, do not be anxious about anything or another translation, the Bible writes, be anxious for nothing. That's the bonkers bit, just in case you're wondering. But in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And really at face value, we're asking the question, this instruction that Paul's put out there, do not be anxious about anything. Is that realistic or ridiculous? Because if it's ridiculous, let's just go home now. But if it's realistic, or at least if the trajectory of our lives can, can head in that direction, well, what, what would that take? What sort of things do we need to be aware of? What sort of things do we need to put into practice in our lives to maybe move us towards that idea that we can potentially be anxious for nothing? Now, just encourage you strongly, if you've missed the first two weeks or you want to catch up, you can go to our podcast, any of the platforms, type Elevate Church, Perth, we'll be there and you can catch up on the first two weeks. When we talk about anxiety, just before you kind of think, oh, it's very tense in here, it's not all bad. In fact, one helpful idea is to think of anxiety like a smoke alarm. That when it goes off, it's a sign that something is wrong. And if you, res- if you don't ignore that and you respond appropriately, then good. It's like, thank God for the smoke alarm. That's why they're compulsory these days. Um, However, if you think the solution is to remove the batteries or disconnect the power supply or put your earbuds in and turn the volume up because this smoke alarm's driving you crazy, well, guess what? You're gonna burn the house down. So anxiety can be very, very helpful providing we respond to it in a timely and appropriate manner. Now, I'm going to get a bit sciencey here, people. Science. Yeah, me too. Brain 101. A little bit of brain 101 here. In the brain, two portions of the brain are the amygdala, which is like an almond size shape kind of piece of the brain, and then the prefrontal cortex, which is in the frontal bit. 
they have two very unique and important functions. The amygdala is triggered and it's there to, when, when there's imminent danger, our amygdala sends a response to everything in us, the fight, flight, or freeze response. It says, hello, don't ignore this. This is gonna get bad for you. Uh, pay attention and do something. That's the amygdala, screaming, screaming. The, uh, and it sends a, 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 a releases a, a flood of adrenaline and that adrenaline is essentially, ideally, used for us to run away from the woolly mammoth until we're out of range and then good, danger's over. Uh, the prefrontal cortex kicks in when we are out of range of the woolly mammoth and says, it's okay, you can sit down now, you can take a breath, you can calm down, you're safe. So these kind of work as a bit of a one-two combination. They each have their unique role. The first is triggered and then the second is triggered and then we carry on with life as we knew it before the danger. The problem is that the amygdala is not objective. So much so that the amygdala has the potential to hijack your brain and remain in charge even after the danger has passed. It's called the amygdala, amygdala hijack. And in fact, the prefrontal cortex, once the danger's passed, tries to kick in and say, it's okay, it's all right, you're, not, you're safe, you're not in danger anymore. And the amygdala says, <laughs> I'm in charge. And it's when this, we live in this state or get into this state where the amygdala is dominant in our brains that actually we start to fear and react to and respond to and, and actually be dominated by things that actually aren't even gonna happen. And you know this because you've spent years of your life in spurts worrying about thinking about stuff that didn't ever actually happen. And it's important to know which one's which. Now, this message today, it's not gonna be all sciencey. not that there's anything wrong with that, uh, but it's very much a companion message to a series, an entire series we taught last year called Winning the War in Your Mind. And the big idea from this series, a four-week series, is to think about what you think about and really get our thought life over into the trajectory that God wants for us because what we think about comes out in our lives. So you can go back 2021 uh, and uh, catch up on this. But we're talking about specifically anxiety. And we've been the last two weeks double-clicking on something that's super, super important for us to understand. And, it, and, and it's, it's the idea that there's still a level of stigma attached. Despite a lot of progress I think we've made in this area as a culture, there is still some stigma attached to anxiety, to people struggling with anxiety, to people who might you know, be vulnerable and admit to struggling with anxiety. And sometimes it's just assumed that they're weak. You can't handle it, you know. Um, and then in some church circles, there's another layer, which is this sort of projection that you must lack faith. If you're anxious, you're not trusting God enough, which is just not helpful. And it's also just like, um, 
stupid. Because if you were to break your leg tonight and get rushed to the hospital, nobody's accusing you of being weak or lacking faith because you've gone to the hospital to get your broken leg fixed. They're saying, in fact, they'd think that you're irresponsible if you didn't go and get some professional help. So why do we flip the whole kind of interpretation when it comes to people that are struggling with things in their thought life? It's just stupid. It makes no sense. All right. Sorry, I'm just getting warmed up here. Because here's the reality. God can't heal what you hide. And there's two important moving parts to understand from that very, very, very important idea. The first is, if you think that when you're struggling with something, you need to hide it from God, it's game over before you've even begun. You've cropped yourself out of the healing journey because you don't want God to know about your mess. Well, first of all, He knows anyway. Secondly, He's not disappointed. He's not angry. He's not going to just go titch, 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 suck it up, deal with it. He wants to insert Himself and His power and His grace into your life to begin the healing process. And so we spend an inordinate amount of time teaching about the character of God. In fact, I'm thinking maybe the next series we teach on is gonna be about the character of God. I don't know yet. It's too early to tell. But anyway, it's on the, it's on the maybe list. But, but, we, but we teach about the character of God because some people have this backwards idea that God just like... It's only if you're good and perfect and sorted and dialed and right that that's, then you can come to God because you won't get rejected. And it's like, no. And, and so, but, but here's the thing. Someone can get to that place and I hope that we all land in that, in that sphere where we start to understand and appreciate and trust God's loving character, Right? It's only one side of the coin because there's another side of the coin and it's called you and me, the church. Someone can have that revelation about God and yet still feel they need to keep things hidden because they fear judgment from the church. They've overcome the idea that God might judge them, but they don't have the confidence to put things on the table because they're terrified that you or I might judge them. And both of those things matter for anybody to get healed and grow. Now, we're not teaching this series from the point of view of counselors. I'm not a counselor. Don't come to me for counseling. I will make your life worse. Um, We're not coming from the point of view of doctors. We're not coming from the point of view of nutritionists. These are professionals and they do what they do and we strongly recommend people access professionals when they need a little bit of extra help. But, but here's the thing. We would base any forward steps, any formal steps with professionals on the idea that God is seated on the throne. You ever heard that expression, God seated on the throne? You ever thought about what that means? It means he's not frantically pacing. 
He's not tossing in his sleep. He's not anxious about what you're going through. He's steady and he's secure. And so when you go and see a counselor, the God who's seated on the throne is there with you. Seated. (laughs) Not chewing on his fingernails. Seated. And he's trusting that God's going to, that he's going to be able to work in and through that counselor who he's gifted and, and they've gone through the training to be able to help you in concert with the God who's seated on the throne. So these don't have to be this kind of church and weirdos and professionals in, well, you know, okay, if you really think you have to go and see them, I mean, I won't tell anyone if you don't. It's like, Wise people seek help from wise people. All right. If you've got your smartphone, I know you do. You took it with you to the toilet this morning. It's, it's somewhere within reach. Pop it open to the camera app and scan the flow code. It'll take you to Philippians chapter four. And I'm gonna drop us into the new international version. And I'm actually gonna drop us into like the next thing that Paul wrote. Well, the next, next thing. The next, next thing that Paul wrote. Uh, in this same letter, and he's kind of like wrapping it up now, okay? And wrap it up now. And I know he was wrapping it up because he writes, summing it all up. I know. <laughs> Genius. Friends. I'd say you'll do best. Oh, got my attention. By filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Do that, it's a choice, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into His most excellent harmonies. Now, a number of years ago, I worked alongside some air traffic controllers. They didn't let me uh, touch the dials, but I worked for several years alongside a bunch of air traffic controllers. And uh, one thing that I observed about air traffic controllers in the, the space and while they're doing their job is they actually don't have control over which planes come into their airspace. That, that's determined by external factors. However, they have complete control over which planes they allow to land on their runway. That's some serious power. It's called the rerouting principle. And this is called the rerouting principle, not just in the world of air traffic control, it's called the rerouting principle in the world of psychology. And you have that power available to you. In fact, this is how I would say you and I can become thought traffic controllers. Acknowledging we don't have control over every thought that enters our headspace, but we do have complete control over which thoughts we allow to land and take up residence, right? And so just like the air traffic controllers have to train and get good at recognizing when something's ineffective or dangerous and they'll reroute that plane elsewhere and essentially say, (laughs) not my problem anymore and just get rid of it. Uh, We have that same opportunity and we have that same power to develop the rerouting principle when it comes to our thoughts. Recognizing, uh, is this like the best 
thought. I mean, it came into my headspace, like, okay, it's, it's, it's orbiting. Do I really want this thought to land? And if you don't, because you recognize it's less than God's best, we can develop the skills and the abilities to become a thought traffic controller. Because here's something that you'll, like, let me just, you'll, you're gonna wanna hear this. Having worked alongside these air traffic controllers, uh, I came to learn that on day one, like they got the job, on day one, day one, they didn't get given the controls. Like, woohoo, wonder what this button does, boring. They had to go through years and years of startup training and then just continue training and training and training and training. Because, uh, uh, you know, there's quite a bit at stake when it comes to them doing their job effectively. Well, here's the great thing. If you've never thought about becoming a thought traffic controller, you can, you can apply for the job today. And you might not be great at it to begin with. Some of those thoughts that are less than God's best, they might sneak through and land and you're like, ah, oh, boy. Okay, all right, all right. Well, what did you learn from that? You know, and become this, this thought traffic controller. Understanding, again, what goes on in our mind comes out in our life. And so God has enormous amount of importance on what we think about. And as you develop your rerouting skills, here's some things that you no longer have to say. Well, I've always been this way. I've always thought like this. My dad thought like this. My grandpa thought like this. I think like this. Probably never going to change. Why not? Who told you that? That's a lie. It, it, it won't change by being passive about it. It won't change by just letting every thought pile on. But it can change. <laughs> then Paul points to another principle in, in these work in concert called the replacement principle. And he wrote, filling your minds and meditating. Last week, Rob uh, put out the idea that for some of us, we might need to go on an elimination diet with our thoughts. Like there's some thoughts that have crept in and they're kind of not doing us any good. And, and, and they keep sort of echoing back. And, and Rob's recommendation was just, just start with one. You know, like if it's elimination diet in our life, just start with eliminating processed sugar. All right, just like don't burn the entire place. Just, just one. And then just start there and get good at that. Same with our thoughts. Just recognize one. And when you recognize it, you're like, oh yeah, it's back. It's there, right? And just try to, uh, just try to reroute and get rid of that. So I'm gonna build on what Rob said. Because I love that, and I think that's incredibly, incredibly important and solid instruction from Rob. However, uh, as the CGO, that's the Chief Gardening Officer of Marco's Urban Farm, uh, if there's one thing I've discovered, is that when I remove a weed from my garden, and I wished everything in my garden grew like weeds, when I remove a weed, and leave that spot bare, it's only a matter of time 
before another weed takes up residence in that exact same piece of real estate in my urban farm. And, 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 the, and therefore, what I've learned is the only thing that's going to prevent a weed taking up the space of the weed that I thought I'd gotten rid of is by replacing it with something that I actually want to be growing in that square foot in my urban farm, the replacement principle. So Paul talks about this idea of filling our minds and meditating, not just the elimination of negative thoughts, of thoughts that are less than God's best, of thoughts that are not taking us to the place that God wants us. That's one side of it. And then follow that up with filling our minds and meditating on the sorts of thoughts that will take us towards where God wants us to go. I'm gonna hit his top nine again in a moment. Just before I do, let me just like, like I know we, everyone just double check that you got your big boy and big girl pants on. Uh, and please understand this. Paul used the term meditate or meditating. And some Christians start to twitch involuntarily when they hear that term meditating because they have some preconceived notions of what that looks like, that it's, it's, it's Eastern mysticism. And if you do that, you're going to end up with a crystal on your forehead. And just like inane things like that, or, or this one here, um, meditating is about emptying your mind. Paul's saying, fill your mind, but, but and meditating, you meant to empty your mind. Well, that's a form of meditation. Don't work for me. <laughs> Cheapest creepers. I can't... F- empty my mind for more than about half a second before 20 other thoughts creep in. There's a practice of meditation uh, which involves just chewing on something, just going over it again and again and again. And, and if that's a life-giving thought, <laughs> then we can extract more and more and more and more of the good things that God wants us to get from that thought if we just hover over it, we, we, we meditate on it. And so Paul's recommendation is that this idea that, you know, like let's try and reroute some of the less than God's best thoughts and then let's intentionally fill our minds with the sorts of thoughts that are God's best and he gives a top nine. I don't know why it wasn't a top 10. It was a top nine, okay? Some of, the, some of you OCD people, this is gonna bother you. It is only nine. Just add one on your own in the end if you want. I don't know, a bit of extra biblical revelation. Never did any harm to anyone, did it, Maddie Coons? That'd be ridiculous. Said no Mormon ever. All right, number one, true. It's like, you know one of the reasons that God gives us his word is that he actually says this is truth. This is, this is where truth resides. And, and we can weigh our thoughts up against his word and it will actually give us a reference point as to whether that thought is true or it's just something that, some lie that someone told you or some lie you're telling yourself or some lie the devil's speaking in. The next one is noble. And, and this idea... Uh, of noble is, is it's this idea that, that 
when we become followers of Jesus, we are actually adopted into the family of the king. We, we change our citizenship. And this question is, 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 is that thought that you're thinking, is this the sort of thought that's worthy of a son and daughter of the king? Like, is this elevated enough or is this just like commoners thinking? Because if it's commoners thinking, you can do better. Is it reputable? <laughs> I love this one. Who told you that? See, sometimes the source of the information is even more important than the information itself. You probably know this now if, if you use a news app. I read a new, I look at, I got my news apps. I, got, I use two news apps. And every headline is now a clickbait headline. All of them are designed to get my attention. So I look at all of them, just the headlines. And before I click on the article, I, I, look, I click on who wrote it, <laughs> which news outlet. Because that's going to largely determine whether, because some of these turkeys that publish digital media that they can publish for free, there's a reason it's free. Because <laughs> it's not worth nothing. Is this reputable? Who told you this? Is it authentic? This word authentic is about, does it actually line up with reality? Or are there two separate versions of this thought? And if so, which one are you going to want to land on? Is it compelling? This word compelling, it, 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 it speaks to, is it going to move us forward? Is it going to move us towards Jesus? We're not just meant to be believers. Jesus calls us to be followers. Are these thoughts compelling me? to want to be more like him, to want to get to know him more. By the way, just a little bonus one. You know one of the things that anxiety can be, like I said, the smoke alarm thing? You know one of the other positives it can be? It can actually drive you into a better relationship with Jesus. Like, I'm not suggesting pray for anxiety, but I'm just saying, if the smoke alarm starts going off, it could be the thing that God uses you to actually want to lean on him even more than you have before. Anyway, that's for free. Gracious, Whew. here we go. Uh, two weeks ago, one of my clickbait articles was about somebody on a plane who punched the flight attendant in the back of the head mid-flight. And I thought to myself, that's not very gracious. And you can't kick them off the flight at that point either, by the way. Probably want to push him out the door. Then, three days ago, I read an article about boarding was delayed on a plane because one of the first passengers decided to drop their trousers and take a dump on the aisle before the other passengers could board. And I thought to myself, that's not very gracious. And then two days ago, I read an article. By the way, don't ever try to read my news feed. Uh, two days ago, I read an article about a family who, when their plane landed, the police were called on board to arrest them for the acts that they collectively, mum, dad, and the two kids, where to set an example, uh, for what they had done to uh, some of the flight attendants. It was, 
And I thought to myself, well, that's not gracious. And I'm glad that these stories still make the headlines. <laughs> and I don't say this cynically, but I just think to myself sometimes, I wonder if this would be a story in five years' time. Or if we've just somehow accepted that this stuff's just kind of like, okay. And the, and, and, the, and the reality is some of our thoughts are actually like antagonistic and, and not good. And they're destroying us from the inside out. And, and, and God's saying, fill your mind with gracious thoughts, thoughts that speak life, thoughts that speak possibility, thoughts that speak hope and positivity. Like, are you Sally the cynic or are you like, okay, I'm, I'm not denying the reality of this situation, but I trust in a God who, by the way, did I mention, is seated on the throne. Uh, so I'm going to think gracious thoughts. I'm going to think thoughts that are the best, not the worst. Beautiful, not ugly, praise, and not a curse. And I've titled this message, kind of weird telling you what the message is called when you're finishing, but anyway, uh, an antidote to anxiety, question mark? Because anyways, I know the antidote to anxiety. I don't think there's one, but I think this instruction from Paul about how we think and these things fill our minds and meditate on this sort of stuff is a really, really accessible antidote that we can add in the mix. This plus counseling, <laughs> great. Probably your counselor is going to tell you to start thinking like this anyway. This plus the doctor, this plus the nutritionist, this plus, great, like, like, but it does take practice to get good at becoming thought traffic controllers, rerouting, replacing, meditating on thoughts. All right, the final thing, and then I'm done for this series. Rob Mason, again next week, by the way, The Silver Surfer. He's currently in Sydney on granddad duties, and uh, I don't know. He's a pretty doting granddad, so maybe I will be preaching next Sunday because he decided not to come back. I don't know. Only one way we'll find out, right? Be here. What we've been doing uh, for the last probably three months is, uh, so we love the Bible app. The Bible app, like ask the internet how many times it's been downloaded. It's like in the Bs. It's like this bonkers number. It's for free. And then the number of translations and the number of languages. They're trying to get it digitized in the Bible app to have the Bible translated into every single language on the planet. Talk about it now. This is just one church that does this, by the way. So not us, I mean, the church that. What an incredibly big uh, goal. So we love it. And we love what you can do and there's tools and stuff and so on and so forth. And I say this all the time. You can use a paper Bible. You can use a papyrus. It's the words, not the, 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 the form that the power resides in. So get it however, just get it, the words. But anyway, this Bible app, which is free, uh, a few months ago, added a feature where you can, if you've got the app, you need the app, and you need an account, and then you can scan this QR code and set up Elevate Church as my church in the app. And what we've been doing, they've just released a couple of uh, new features or initial features. They'll be, no doubt, rolling out some more. But what we've been doing is every Monday, 
we've been publishing a featured plan, a Bible plan. Your grandma would have called it a devotional, uh, same kind of idea. And it's around the same topic that we've preached on the day before, the Sunday, okay? And the plans typically go sort of five days, so you don't even have to do one every day. Um, but this is the idea. So tomorrow, we're going to be publishing the, 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 the Bible plan, Winning the War in Your Mind. So we're going to do a little bit of a throwback, although I know some of you are new to Elevate, which is great, uh, and take a deep dive. I think that's a five-day plan. I'm doing them as well, and it's not because I'm trying to, you know, well, you better do them because you're the professional Christian. No, I'm, I, I study the Bible for a living, and I study the Bible for living. So I'm in the same kind of category as you all. Encourage you to do that. Um, and uh, it's just this idea of uh, really allowing God to, to take us deeper, further uh, with whatever the topic is. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.